I'm Corey Edwards. Thanks for stopping by. That's it. That's the name. That's what I came up with. Because, you know, it covers a it covers a bunch of things. Because I don't know what we're going to talk about here. This is new. This is new to me. I know it's new to you. I used to be on some other uh, podcast. I, I was on uh, as a regular installment on the Steelhouse podcast years ago. Shout out to the Steelhouse podcast fans. And uh, I've been a guest on many other podcasts. And I know I can talk my head off, and people have said since Steelhouse, since I was doing those segments, which were uh, known as Coriopolis, which were very written segments. They were, uh, I compare them to like NPR segments, like NPR humorist segments. Like the old Andy Rooney. If you're over 40 years old, you'll remember Andy Rooney. And he would say, why does lettuce do that? Do you ever notice, do you ever notice how elevator doors close so slow? You know. Yeah, he's just a very old cranky man on uh, 60 Minutes. But also NPR would uh, have segments. Uh, so anyway, that was very written. And uh, I wanted to do something scarier, something looser. Something like, um, you know, the first 10 minutes of uh, The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. I mean, after the monologue. Or the first 10 minutes after Letterman's monologue where he would just sit and tell stories and talk and just bring stuff up. And some of my favorite podcasts are like that. So um, so that's part one. That's part one of it is that I'm just going to talk my head off about whatever is going on in my life currently. And it, hopefully it will be about uh, creativity and about writing and about making movies. Um, I won't be able to share everything. But, you know, I'll try to share um, what I can of the creative process of whatever I'm working on. Because uh, I believe that's helpful to other people. And... Um, it won't be necessarily always like a craft podcast. I know a lot of podcasts get really specific. You know, like um, ones that I love, script notes, script apart, um, stuff like that, where it's really breaking it down. I might do that every once in a while. But um, but my interests are varied and wide, and I, I just like to sometimes just talk about life, talk about my, uh, my kids and family and things I've seen along the way. And uh, just loosely express myself in a way that's not stand-up comedy, which I've also done, and that's not so tightly wound as that, as a comedy bit, or as tightly wound as like, well, someday I'm going to write that into a script. This is more of free expression. And, you know, uh, one in three Americans have a podcast, so why not me? Why not me? And some of you Steelhouse podcast fans, just for a year after that thing shut down, you were like, well... When are you going to do a podcast? When are you going to do a podcast? Corey, you should do a podcast. That's my impersonation of you guys. I hope that doesn't offend. <laughs> and if it does, then this probably isn't the podcast for you. Because I'm going to make fun of, uh, uh, I'm going to make funny voices uh, uh, personifying strangers I don't know all the time. So uh, this, I just decided, well, this will be called uh, Thanks for Stopping By because you're stopping by. I feel like you're stopping by the front porch that I don't really have. I don't have a front porch on my house. I wish I did. I do. It's like a three-foot porch. It's no good. Uh, but just imagine me sitting on the front porch. You guys stop by, and we're just chatting for a while. Uh, except you don't get to say anything. 
Uh, it's like you stop by and I uh, make you mute. And I just talk while I whittle in my rocking chair. You know what, though? You can talk. You, you talk right back to me. I just don't know what you're saying. So if I say something you disagree with or you love, you can just be like, that's right, Corey, you tell him. Or, I don't think so. Don't, oh, no, you didn't. You know, you can just say whatever you want if you're in your car or uh, folding laundry. I used to fold a lot of laundry to podcasts. I, I still do from time to time. Um, <laughs> so thanks for stopping by is what I came up with. And I want to thank you for stopping by. But then along with me talking for, you know, the first 15 minutes, just kind of unloading <laughs> uh, what's in my brain, I also want other people to stop by. I want to, um, I used to interview people all the time. I had a music video show for a while, interviewed a lot of artists, and um, I found I had not just a knack for it, um, but I enjoyed it. It's, it's, I think that the best podcasts that I like listening to are a little bit of this, where I'm expressing myself, but not an hour of this. Good grief, no. Um, so I will, uh, I will have guests on for the other half of the show. Um, which I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping this whole thing turns into an hour. Um, I don't, I don't like 15 minute podcasts. I don't like half hour podcasts. The longer, the better. I listen to like the empire podcast, empire magazine. Um, they'll do like this marathon two hour one. And sometimes I know on the Steelhouse podcast, uh, it would go long and they would apologize and, and everybody always apologizes for, you know, long podcasts. I don't know about you guys. I'm, I'm like, when I'm scrolling to find a podcast, the longer, the better. I just want material. I want, I want somebody to keep me awake while I'm on the road or to keep me company while I'm doing a menial task. You know, so I'm just here to keep you company. And if it gets too long, shut me off. That's the beauty of it. You can just shut me up whenever you want. <laughs> unlike, unlike someone in my house, other people in my house, they have to listen to me. Uh, actually, they, they shut me off too. They do. Um, it's not exactly like an off button, but it's just maybe an eye roll or a withering stare. And uh, nine times out of 10, I get it, you know, but there's that 10th time where I just keep talking. And then it's the drive home from a party where she says, you know, you know, when I kept nudging you that it was, we were, we were already talking about something else. And I was like, oh, I see, I see social cues. Yes. Social cues. So there are no social cues here on my podcast. It's just me. And then, as I say eventually, it will be a guest. Now, what kind of guests, you say? Um, You know, this is an ever-evolving thing, this podcast, but I want it to be, I want to have conversations with interesting people. That means uh, they don't necessarily have to be writers or creators or directors or artists or musicians, but I will warn you that a lot of the people I know are writers and directors and artists and musicians. So a lot of our conversations, a lot of the people I will have conversations with uh, will be creative people. And I think that the theme of this podcast will inevitably circle back to creativity, storytelling. Um, How do you hatch that, (coughs) excuse me, that hatch that perfect idea uh, into something, into something more? Uh, How do you build it? Um, Or as I like to say, uh, you know, I just gave a talk to some kids at a school how do you take a bunch of little things, a string of ideas that start to bump into each other and pull that together into a big thing that gets bigger and bigger and turns into a thing? 
So, you know, I'll talk about writing screenplays and I may talk to someone else about composing an album um, or creating an improv show. I know people that do that um, and, and stuff that I'm fascinated by. But, but I'll tell you what, I, I, want, I want to spread my wings and I want to talk to someone about what's it like to run a chicken farm? What's it like to uh, design tennis shoes for a living? I don't know. I actually don't know anybody that de- designs tennis shoes for a living. But boy, if I find them, I'm going to go talk to them. Um, because this podcast format, uh, through the good people at the Anchor app, has made it so accessible. The entry level now is so low. I kept waiting to buy the perfect microphone, uh, staple a bunch of foam and carpet up to a little uh, recording room. I kept waiting for when everything was perfect. And um, now I've discovered this Anchor app, and I think the way that it will uh, help me put this together fast... Uh, my phone is my recording studio wherever I go, so if I find an interesting person, I'm going to sit down with them right there, and hopefully that'll help me to travel with this show and be able to put it out on a consistent consistent basis, and hopefully I will say the word consistent consistently, uh, but I make no promises, uh, because as I say, this is ever-evolving, and my, my hope is also that this is weekly. Isn't that what you do? Most podcasts are weekly, um, so I'm going to make every attempt to make this weekly. Um, yeah, so that's it. And, um, what do I mean by the creative process? Since I've got you here in my opening segment, uh, now that I've talked your ear off about what this podcast is going to be, let's, let's keep going. Let's do the podcast. Um, um, I will say, uh, I recently, as I just mentioned, spoke to, um, about 200 kids at an elementary school. They brought in kind of different grades and it was, um, Life Elementary School Carrollton. Shout out, Life School. I hope I said that right. And um, a lot of kids that I don't know where their creativity is right now. I don't know where their goals and aspirations are. But perhaps uh, they want to do something creative. Perhaps they want to make movies or television <coughs> or something like that. Um, but maybe they want to be a marine biologist or an astronaut. But, but I hope that my talk with them, as I will talk to you guys, is that if you want to do a big thing that seems impossible especially if you're like eight. Um, Big things are possible if you break them down into teeny tiny pieces. And the teeny tiny pieces can start right now, eight years old. They can start right now, 30-year-old, wherever you are starting at. Uh, Your starting blocks can be right now. And if if you want to write the great American novel, um, don't do that right now. (laughs) Don't try to write the next Harry Potter because it's 700 pages. Write a one or two page story. Take an afternoon. See if you can do it. And stare at it on the computer, read it to your friends. Be proud of it. It's, it's this two-page story. If you want to make movies, go out and shoot a one-minute movie on your phone. You can do it now. And see how that makes you feel. See what mistakes you make. See what you learn. Little pieces. And the more you make stuff, as I like to say in, in some of my talks to like college-age people, uh, don't worry about if you, how to get an agent. Don't worry about how to raise mon- money. Don't worry about how the uh, uh, international distribution system works for motion pictures. Just go make stuff. Just go make stuff, whatever it is that uh, floats your boat, flips your fancy. Um, If you want to make a a graphic novel, those are typically like 80, 90 pages. Make one or two pages of a great graphic novel that is a short story. Um, Or just take a drawing class one summer. That's your first step. But you know that it's not the end. It's the first step. And that will build upon itself. And especially with filmmaking, if you make stuff, and especially now when you put it out on the YouTube, the YouTubes, on the internets, people will see it. 
Um, there are opportunities to put those things into festivals or to uh, trade your YouTube channel content with another friend's YouTube channel content. People get to know each other out there. And pretty soon, um, an agent or a manager will notice you and then they'll say, hey, I'd like, like to represent you. Now, that might be years from now, but they're not going to notice you until you make stuff. You can't just walk around saying, I want to be a filmmaker. I want to be an author. I want to be a painter. I want to be a musician that records my own albums of original material. Well, record one song. Make that your goal this summer, this year. Um, and uh, once you accomplish, accomplish that goal, you build and build and build. Uh, you make more stuff. As you make stuff, it teaches you how to make better stuff. And the better you get, the more people will notice. So it's just this cycle. Of like The more you do it, the more you're teaching yourself. The more you're putting in those 10,000 hours to master a skill, as I've heard. Um, and But you're also amassing enough stuff that your best stuff will get will get so good that someone will notice, hopefully. Um, and then somebody will say, I got to introduce you to this agent, or I would love to give you money to make a 20-minute film, or I would love to submit your film to this film festival. Like, all that stuff will come if you just start doing your thing, which is making stuff. Anyway, uh, so I talk a lot about that wherever I go because it's, it's, it's hard to answer the thousand other questions because... The answers are always different. My path is going to be different than your path. It's going to be different than anybody's. Um, it, it's helpful to hear about other people's creative path because the, the comfort I get is, well, everybody's different. You know, it, it gives me comfort to know that Ridley Scott, really, uh, he directed his first movie at like 45 years old. Um, he's in his prime at 70, uh, whatever his age is now. Um, so, so... But then somebody else is like, oh, they didn't go to film school or, um, wow, they, they started this way or they, they were, uh, in advertising for 10 years and then they just made this film, um, that was a short film. So, so everybody's got their own thing and their different thing. And that all that tells you is you, you can, you can cherry pick, you can go down that salad bar and go, well, I'll take a bit of this and a bit of that. I'll try that. That sounds like something that my personality would like. Oh, this person got up at five in the morning and wrote a chapter every morning. Now, for some of you, that's a nightmare. But if you go, oh, I'm a morning person. I'd like to try that. I love coffee. Whatever uh, you think that that will do to spur you on. Listen to other creative people. Like the conversations I hope we're going to have on this show. And decide what parts work for you. And then it will become your own unique journey to making stuff. And your own unique journey will answer all those questions about, how do I get an agent? How do I get into film festival? How do I get into a writing fellowship? Should I get into a writing fellowship? Don't worry about that stuff right now. Let's just talk about making stuff, about being creative, about getting ideas. And, um, you know, and, and, and you can read my blog at CoreyEdwards.com. There's my little plug, CoreyEdwards.com. I, I don't, I write about once a month in it right now because I don't, I write when the need strikes me. And uh, a lot of people really liked something I recently wrote and it was about the cost, the cost of being a creative person. Um, it was part, partly to scare new people and partly to inspire them. But, you know, you, you got to armor up and gird your loins if you're going to do something creative for a living. Um, but, but the other thing I talked about and that I will probably share more on this podcast is uh, how being a creative person is misunderstood by most. Um, there are, are people I know and love in my life, people near and dear to me, who they are making a living in a more traditional way and there are conversations that I have at parties and get-togethers and family reunions where they, they just don't quite 
even when I answer, how's it going? And I try to explain it. They, they look at me like I'm a, uh, uh, like I come from circus people that I'm, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm raised by wolves out in the woods is, is, you know, it's, it's just, it's a different way of making money of holding on to, uh, your, your, your family and your schedule is so up in the air. Um, and it's just hard to describe. So, uh, I won't go into that there, but, but, but I will say that even as a creative person within the business, within the entertainment business, um, I'm dealing with, uh, a lot of producers and here's the difference. If you don't know, a writer or a director, that is a purely creative position. A producer can be creative and there are a lot of great producers out there. Okay. But there are a lot of producers that don't know how to create. All they know how to do is pull the money together. They can see who is creative and hire them and they can kind of sidle up beside the creative person and make suggestions or say, I really feel like it needs this or that. And you're like, the best producers in the world do have a creative bone in their body. But they also know what they're not good at. And they also know to let the director or the writer do their thing. And so I've had uh, varying degrees of success with producers and uh, studio executives. And people who give you notes. Who are, who are trying to do their job. They feel like, my job, that's what they're thinking. My job is to give this guy notes. My job is to help this guy create. And sometimes, I got to be honest, folks, you're not helping. You're not. You're, you're, you don't have to help me write the joke. You don't have to help me write the dialogue. Just say, I want this scene to be funnier, or I want this scene to be so tragic, and I don't feel it yet. That's okay. Give me those notes. But you don't have to say, you know, you know what he should say? You know what he should say that would be funnier? I don't know, guys. I mean, I'm not James Cameron. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna throw a clipboard at you. But I've written stand-up, improv, sketch, screenwriting, comedy for 25 years. If you have not <laughs> done that for 10 minutes, please don't help me finish a joke. Just, just don't. Don't do it. You know it'd be funny. You know, don't. I, 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 you know, you'll probably say it anyway, and I'll just smile and nod. And um, the other thing that I think that that studio and 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 uh, certain producers don't understand is when they give me a script and 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 I've written the first draft, what they consider a first draft. I want you guys to know, producers out there, money people, people that need to see the script, quote unquote. When you see the script, it says first draft. We got to call it something, right? Uh, but it's like my sixth draft, at least. And I have been micromanaging every word. I have been nitpicking. I have been crawling all over those pages. Even after I, I hit fade to black at the end of the script, um, I have been noodling and noodling and noodling with every single word and fine-tuning it and saying it out loud. So when I hand it to you and you go, I don't know, is this the best? Is this the best it can be? I'm like, well, look, it's the best that I thought it could be. I'm, I'm, I'm open to collaborating and hearing thoughts. I, I don't, I, guys, I don't want to paint the picture that, uh, that I'm not collaborative. But I have found that when I try to be too collaborative, I end up being a doormat and I've had bad experiences where I've just rolled over and man, does it not make good product. It does not. It does not. Um, so, you know, they sometimes they don't understand that I'm giving you my first draft, but that doesn't mean I went, what if he said this? And I do that for 
100 pages and I just hand it to you. I've been over those 100 pages like probably 20 times, at least for the first draft. Um, and then you make your suggestions. You make your, I want this scene to be this or that, or there's too many boring scenes, or this, this is too exciting, or it's too sad, or whatever. I go away, I do a rewrite. And typically I will put, uh, uh, make that rewrite uh, anything that I touch on that rewrite, I make the text red. A lot of uh, writers do this. So there's a red line version so that really lazy producers don't have to read the whole script again. They get the rewrite and they just go to the red lines. Well, the problem with that is that I have had with a certain producer, and by the way, I will never name names on this podcast. I will not. I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus. I'm not into mudslinging. I'll just say a certain producer or a certain writer and you'll just have to wonder. So a certain producer says, I'm trying to be genderless here too, says, well, I just don't see a lot of red type on this script. I thought I'd see more red type. And I'm like, ah, that's because I wrote a ton of stuff. It sucked. And I deleted it again. So there was acres of red type, type, but like part of writing is knowing what to take away and knowing what to delete. And so what I've given you now is there's only a few lines on this scene because I just I just ripped that scene out. I just took half that scene out and said, we can do this in two lines. And they're like, yeah, it just doesn't look like you did that much work. I'm like, well, I don't know what to tell you. Um, I, I, can, I, can, I can't open up my brain and show you what I did. And there's a certain point where you just have to trust the creative person. And that's where you just got to have a lot of long conversations if you're a producer with your creative and you got to trust them because man... When a creative person feels trusted and supported, whoo, they do good work. And when they don't feel trusted and when they feel like somebody is kind of waiting to catch them, doing something wrong, that, that's, there's nothing that freezes up creativity than having someone look over your shoulder and microanalyze what you're doing. And unfortunately, I've had a couple of projects like that. So, uh, but, but you know what? Every failure that any creative has, you take that, you take it in, you weep over it, you mourn over that failure or that bad experience with that bad person. And then you go, ah, I have this thing now. I have this story I can tell to the next person when they say, let's do it this way. And you can say, you know what? I did it that way once and it was horrible. And you have like specific stories you can tell, or at least you've ingested that specific experience to go, wow, I now know I won't do A, B, and C again. And you learn from it. So, um, you know, that's all I can say. If you're nursing a wound of a failure today. Um, it is it is ammunition for the next time. It is fuel to be better. So, so that's it. That's my riff. I know I've gone on for a while. Uh, I just uh, I wanted this first show to to kind of uh, and maybe the first few shows I'm going to be um, sharing with you what kind of creative person I am. Um, my likes, my dislikes, my pet peeves. What's my favorite soup? Find out next week. I don't know what I'll share. But mostly it's uh, kind of how I feel as a creative person and how I operate. And hopefully as you engage, you know, even if you're, you're um, a school principal hiring some young person to paint a mural, or you're a church pastor and you want to bring in someone to uh, do some comedy at your church, I, I can give you some advice there. But a lot of the concerns that people have with creative people are that they're these weird people that pull these intangible things out of the air called ideas and they spit them back out into product. And it's hard to understand how that alchemy works. It's, it's, it's magic. It's, it's, I mean, there's a craft to it. There's a lot of stuff that's behind the scenes that's very pragmatic that has made me uh, uh, faster and better at what I do. 
Uh, but to most people outside of the creative process, it's like weird magic. It's like you're some kind of wizard just kind of stirring a pot full of mist and you're like, now I have something. Um, I know I had to sit around and stare at a wall for an hour, but I suddenly have something and it's, it's the idea I needed, but I needed to stare at that wall. So just get to know your creative person and trust them. And that's all you can do sometimes. And, and you look at their past work and you just have to take what they've done in the past and what their experiences are and, and, uh, and just keep tabs on them, obviously. But, uh, and hey, for all you creative people, you know what I'm talking about, right? Um, share your woes as we have this podcast. Um, well, that's it for this segment. And now I'm going to go on to my uh, first very special guest. And uh, hopefully uh, they are going to elaborate uh, uh, much more. And we'll have more fun hearing two voices instead of one. My guest today is singer, songwriter, very creative person, traveling troubadour, and uh, all-around good guy, Nick Flora. Nick, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. This is wonderful. Yes. And it's, uh, I hear that podcasts are the best way that people use to actually connect and catch up. So that's, that's really the method here. You know what? It has become that way. I've entered into a new uh, phase of my life where I call conversations that aren't recorded non-recorded podcasts it's just easier <laughs> it's just easier that way um like i had a great non-recorded podcast with greg the other day oh really how's it doing i was like well there's no way you'll know because like you can't rate review and subscribe so uh i would exactly. also call you i would call you like a a creator a digital creator of the new age like you're like you're a you're a, it's funny because I, I consider you a pretty low tech guy uh, as far as being a, a guy who, you know, does his own music, plays his own guitar and, and, and pretty much just does. Um, I know you've played with a band on a lot of your albums, but you're kind of a one man show when you travel. But I see you as like an early adopter in a lot of the ways that that a lot of people are only now catching up to. Like you said, you you've done podcasts on and off for 11 years. You, you told me off, yeah. off the mic here. Yeah, we had a non-recorded podcast earlier, and uh, I told you that. I <laughs> yeah, I started in 2011, and I wanted to start in 2008, but it was so difficult. And we are literally talking on our phones right now, so that's how far it's come. You were the guy that wanted to drive down the road before cars were invented, and you just kept running around with a, I sure did. a metal box on your head. I was Fred um, Flintstone, just, right. just trying to make my legs go underneath the car. Exactly. Uh, but also, like you, you like I was like, oh my gosh, man, Nick is just hustling because like you got a YouTube channel, you've got a Patreon, you got a, and you, you, I mean, you're always constantly starting like a new like. Um, what was the thing that 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 I was a part of, and it was and now you're turning it into a podcast, not to yeah. not to immediately plug your stuff, but uh, uh, <laughs> about men, uh, masculinity, and looking at it through movies. But yeah, you know, that was those are two my interests i that's the impetus of every creative idea i have is usually what am i doing already and how can i turn that into something creative and something that people might enjoy listening to you know content if you will but it, that word has been co-opted by a lot of people who are trying to sell you things so but i i am a creator of all kinds and so that was it's called the betterman film club and it was something i i, I literally just came up with one day while I was trying to figure out how to talk about movies um, or use movies to look at the lens, the lens we look 
through our lives through and like understand ourselves because like you i love story and i have been greatly affected by and understood things and processed things within myself through movies mostly it's my favorite way and then music and any kind of story and so and i have learned you know we since we live in such a society that doesn't allow men to access emotional reservoirs if if you will unless right. you're watching a football game or a brave heart or something um right. then that, that would be a great catalyst to have deeper meaningful more emotionally vulnerable conversations among my fellow men which i love my fellow man and um i have been you know greatly i have been greatly touched and blessed and my life been elevated by the good men in my life who have had those conversations. So yeah, I started the Betterman Film Club as an actual club. Um, now, and I brought that up because it was, I brought that up because it was like another way to, to circle people up. Was it through Facebook or? Yeah, initially. And I, I'm trying to figure out, and I feel like I'm just now landing on it. So it, it's a, it, I needed something that was like a, a, a book club type thing, but it was on the internet. I couldn't figure out how exactly how to do that. Um, and so in movies, you know, they, they're dissected a little bit quicker than books. You can sit down for two hours and be done with it. So I was trying to figure out, okay, in the meantime, if we, cause we're meeting up once a month via zoom and to talk about it for two hours, what's the, what's the middle ground. So we had a Facebook group for a little bit. It's still there, but a lot of people aren't on Facebook. So I'm trying to figure all that out, but now I'm relaunching it as a podcast to kind of show what these conversations are like. And then the film club is coming back and we're doing it twice a month and uh which is an actual meetup group like an actual like zoom you can zoom in uh and talk about the movie that we're watching each month and uh yeah in the podcast and then from there i'm just gonna you know who knows what's next branded well, coffee like, bugs <laughs> <laughs> well who now who can join that i mean not to jump right into one of the oh, i love it no this is my favorite anybody thing to can about. Join that? <laughs> anybody can i i I prefer, uh, I mean, I'm going to stick it to just kind of cisgendered men, um, people who grew up kind of conditioned and socialized as uh, a man, because there's a lot of stuff attached to that from yeah. previous generations, you know, the John Wayne generation through the, to all the way, you know, to the <laughs> dirty Harry generation. Like emotion, but, emotion is capsulized by you, you grit your teeth and you make a fist yeah, and you let that single tear run down your like face. What's what, when you move on. If you ask me what a man is, I immediately think of like Rooster Cogburn or, you know, th these kind of lone gunmen on the range, not accessing emotion, but distracting themselves with like, you know, alcohol and, and just staring off into the middle distance. I don't know what they're doing, but, but I, I never resonated with that. Um, I was more of a somewhere between Han Solo and Ferris Bueller and, uh, you know, guys who just talk too much and got themselves into trouble. Yeah. Um, those were those were like my guys and and i i feel like there's a shift in culture but also i i just love having these conversations and talking about what what is not just what is masculinity but what does it mean to be a dad what does it mean to be a partner what does it mean to be a brother a friend and i'm just finding so many other men um who also do, you know we're in our 40s and 30s and we don't know how to make a friend like there's <laughs> I, just, you know something as simple as that yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Like there's it's it's there's a lot of lone gun mentality, I will admit to. Um, yeah, just learning how to make male friends and to have a group of friends. I think that post college I had a lot of male friends and yeah, then you me get too. to kind of 
the workforce, whatever that means for, for, for people like us. And, and then, uh, and, and, and a lot of creating is very isolated. And, um, I, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm, um, you know, I'm, I'm a kind of a recluse sometimes when I'm, I'm an introvert when it, when it comes time to create mm-hmm. and I'm happy that way, but then I get like stuck there. Yeah. Because we're not told really, I don't, I believe anyway, like I wasn't really taught how to, if it isn't through, um, you know, a situation like a church, a job, or um, going to a place, you have friends there um, or college family. Those are the ways that people make friends. And I, didn't really have any, any of those things being a lone gunman, you know, as you will, like touring the country by myself in my car. I knew other musicians, but they were also doing the same thing. And so I just didn't know how to connect. And, you know, I, it's just, I find that that more and more and more, especially among creative people, we create in a vacuum. And then when we, it's time to connect, we're like, wait, well, where do we go? Where do we go? What do we do? And so I, I just wanted to create a place where people, felt like they could come together and meet other people especially men because i feel like it's important for men to have other male friendships um that don't sur- don't surround it, th- the catalyst isn't necessarily the typical male things um you know the football games and video games or hunting or beer or whatever it is like <laughs> those things are fine inherently but I, I wanted to start a place where people could just come and the whole reason that we're getting together is to get to know each other and yes, we're talking about movies, but we're we're talking about ourselves through it. And what does this scene make you think of? You know, one of the one of the early movies we did was Stand by Me, and mm. there were, there was about ten guys there, and one guy shared, you know, something that he had never shared with anybody before, including his wife. And it just kind of came out of nowhere because we were talking about our childhood, and it was beautiful. It was just really incredible. Like it opened up a part of him just because I don't know he he had never thought to share this before. Because in, you know, and a lot of us have never just been asked specific questions to even think to access different parts of ourselves, and so I mean th- that's a huge one is how do you make friends? And I think as an adult, especially as a man, we have to be very intentional about that, which means we have to be very vulnerable. <laughs> and right. I, I literally made friends with other dudes about six or seven years ago by walking up to people I already knew a little bit and saying the the sentence that I hadn't said since like second grade, which is will you be my friend? <laughs> and what I mean by that is, and then explain myself. And I, I'm still friends with two of those guys to this day. And it's, it's made all the difference in my life. And it's just such a simple thing, but a thing that we're not really taught. It's, you know, like a lot of things in adulthood, you just kind of assume they're going to be there, especially as creatives. I think right. it's especially hard because we don't go to an office building. Most of us, we don't go to, we have what I think has been called situationships instead of relationships oh that's an interesting uh, word there that's yeah like i'm friends with this person because of the situation we're both in together and not you know because we actually are entering into intentional relationships so I, i'm very interested by all of that and i i am an introvert as well and after this podcast i will sit alone in a dark room for three hours and reset um yeah <laughs> yeah well it's interesting when you when you the, the model or the method that you're using which is like it is like a book club, but it's a movie club. I've always wanted to do one of those. Um, and it's a piece of art that we're not all staring at each other around a circle. We're staring at the piece of art. We're looking at the movie and movies move us. And so we're all watching the same thing or we just watched the same thing. Yeah. Now we can turn to each other and go, ah, did you see that scene with those two guys? Man, that was kind of crazy. So it kind of slides out of us while we're not 
looking because yes. we're all looking at the at the piece of art. Yeah, I and it's the same thing as like you know it's the classic date thing is to go to a movie and I think that's a terrible idea, but <laughs> because you can't talk to each other and you can't look at each other, but I I do love going like watching a movie and then talking about it afterwards at a diner for two hours. That is maybe one of my favorite things on the planet. And so yes. There's nothing more dissatisfying than when you go with a group of people to a movie and you do that thing where you sit in the dark. And then when you get out, there are some people I've gone to movies with and they just can't wait to leave and go home. They're like, well, that's it. Bye. And I'm like, well, well, that's. Yeah, exactly. Eating and talking. Done. Uh, I'd never understand that. I don't either. And everybody has their own different ways of doing it. But I have found that men, especially we're visual people. We really like the visual medium. And so it kind of it fits with. I don't know. It's a, it's a grand experiment, but so far it seems to be working. And uh, I mean, I'm having a great time. And that's the biggest thing with creative, any creative venture is it am, I ask myself, am I enjoying it? If I am, then I can keep doing it. That's great. There it is. Right. I want, I'm successful. If I'm not, then why am I doing it? You know, <laughs> am I doing it just for others approval? Am I doing it because I promised I would do it? And if, and also if the answer is no, I'm not enjoying it, then uh, how can I get back to enjoying it? What am I missing? What am I focusing on that's wrong or that's not hitting? And yeah, this is not necessarily a creative venture, but I, I do get to do one of my favorite things, which is to talk about movies um, with a group of people who all have differing viewpoints who are all different ages. And yeah, uh, yeah I, and I, I became, I got a coaching certification over co- during COVID. And so this is a perfect mix between talking about movies and also leading discussions um all coaching is all about asking questions to get people to think about things in a different way um and uh that that is one of my favorite things i'm such an inquisitive person my first podcast was literally interviewing musicians for six years or creative people for six years so yeah i love asking questions it's fascinating too because you are you are uh you love movies but also you've really been drawn to to doing life coaching but I, yeah. I think as, as let me back up here, because I know we just jumped into like your, your most current venture, uh, one of them. But but really, it all starts from uh, with music for you and that you've been a songwriter, I, you know, and I and I would say uh, to, to the listeners here, Nick and I have known each other kind of uh, through uh, the Steelhouse podcast is how I got to know you because yeah. uh, you were submitting questions and some uh, or, or, or I think Mark, maybe Mark Steele highlighted some of your work. And then, so I was a fan first, and then we became friends. And now it's a it's an endless cycle of friend and fan because I'm a big fan of what you do, and you have a, a a flavor and a voice that's unique. That when I, I I have several of your albums, and when I put them on, I can just um I, I can do the shuffle where I know that you would be like ah that's that's uh part two of my life and that's part one of my life and yeah you know, to them out of order, but it it always comes from a, the same tonal place. So I can uh, really get a good vibe going in my. Uh, um, and I really enjoy it. it. Um, but I wanted to I talk about that. like, have you always been? Yeah, sure, man. A songwriter, like growing up, have you always known you wanted to do this? Because I know you love movies so much and other things. Yeah, I think a lot of it. I, song like music has always been in my house. My dad is a musician and not necessarily a songwriter he's a jazz trombonist um what a world renowned too he will never tell you that wow. so i have to brag for him but um yeah. he and, and so i grew up with music around i 
actually would go over to friends' houses as a kid, and it was weird if they didn't have a musical instrument like out. I didn't know that that was a thing. You're um, like everybody does. I was like, yeah, dads play music. Yeah, <laughs> every dad at least plays one brass instrument a little bit, and that's not just not the case apparently. But that <laughs> so music has always been in my in you know, and I've always sung, and it's always been in my house and uh, my mind and my heart and whatnot. But I I I don't I my first creative venture was drawing i loved drawing and animation and wow See, I, that was my i don't think i knew that at all yeah and most people I think don't, you know I, I, don't do, <laughs> I know right I, I i don't do anything like that anymore but i i have so many sketch pads um still in storage um that my parents gave me that were just cartoons i would draw and i was obsessed with you know the far side and calvin and Hobbes and that kind of thing um and garfield like it, it like that that formed my sense of humor and so that was what I wanted to do. And then when I was 15, I picked up a guitar because I really wanted girls to notice me. And, and, <laughs> and they, they did. But what I also found was that I really love writing songs and became addicted to that part of it. I'm way too, uh, I think I'm way too ADD for any, any other longer, like the movie making process sounds so long and exhausting. Um, I love hearing it. It is. <laughs> I love hearing about it in 90 minute chunks on a podcast, but the actual like, Oh, this took two years to make. I was like, I would bail about 50 times. Um, <laughs> but if I can sit down and, you know, in two, three hour spurts and write a song and then it's done. And then I get to perform that three minute song for the next 10 years. Like that sounds fun to me. Um, so it's a little bit more satisfying. So it's, it's a mix of all of it. I do. Love I, I would say that your songs too are like, uh, they're like three minute stories. Most of them are stories. Yeah. I, I really got into the story. Uh, yeah, that's, I really got into storytelling and, and really just family members telling me stories for a long time, you know, just kind of throwing it out there over dinner. Like, Oh, you know, your grandfather was this. And I was like, what? I didn't know that. Like he, almost one of the reasons why and I know you and I bond over Back to the Future so hard, but one of the reasons I love that movie so much and why it's one of my favorites is because of the idea of seeing a different side of your parents that you didn't know was there is, is a constant obsession of mine and not just parents, but family members, grandparents, any of that. And so getting told all these stories about when my grandmother was young or when my great uncle was young, you know, and they were passing away. And I was like, these stories are just going to go away. Like nobody's telling the story over, you know, dinner if I don't do it. And so that on a grander scale was I should write a song about it, put it on an album and then boom, you know, more immortality. Essentially. Right. Well, and, and having, so, having seen you in concert, you uh, like Lost at Sea, you will tell yeah. a, a really, you know, you can just listen to the song and, and kind of get lyrically what the story is but but for you it's it's really when you go to a nick flora concert people you get you get a little bit of that uh storytelling stuff between the song so so you tell that story and it, and then it's almost like the song becomes the soundtrack to this little movie that you've just played in everyone's mind right really and, and that's what i wanted and initially i think when i was in high school before i found i, I picked up a guitar also to be steve martin and to be adam sandler and mm. i wanted to be the funny guitar guy and to be weird al yankovic like these were the guys that i was like, <laughs> and it's so funny because i i love the show freaks and geeks and it, it highlights this so well yeah that, that i i looked at steve martin and martin short and 
Chevy Chase and these guys and was like, they're cool. And not knowing that they weren't, not knowing that they were giant <laughs> nerds, I was like, oh, that's what a cool guy looks like. Bill Murray is a cool guy. And in the, in, you know, and yes, he is. But at the same time, he's a giant dork, which is, and he, he gets to get up there and kind of make believe and be an idiot. And people, that is why he's cool because he gets paid money to do that. Yeah. But I, I, I was like, oh, I'll just be that. I'll just tell stories and be silly. And so my show is kind of morphed into a storytelling show. And I think one of the reasons why I didn't even didn't want to go the route of the comedy guy with the guitar is because I really liked being earnest. <laughs> I really liked the quiet moments on stage where when you're telling a story and the dynamic kind of dips a little bit and gets a little bit quieter. And you can't do that when you're a comedian because people expect you to, as you know, people expect you to be funny all the time. Yeah. And the second there, you're there's, funny, there's kind of an ongoing <laughs> yes there is which i can see that as its own high and, and cool thing but for me also i just learned if you're a musician and you're even a little bit funny people laugh like you're the funniest like the, like I, i've gotten kevin hart level laughs because they're like we didn't know the the musician was going to be a little bit funny and so that, that's that's <laughs> cool. the expectations a little bit you can yeah you can like oh yeah I, man i love me some low expectations i love it Love a low expectation. I can match that all day long. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I, go ahead. No, I was just going to say like that, that kind of like it, all of that story kind of led me to where I am now and, and has made me who I am. Cause I feel like a lot of my friend, I was having a conversation with a creative friend the other day and he was so frustrated that it took him so long to get where he is now, which is basically doing creative things that he would have done when he was a kid and he's like, Oh, I'm just going back to the simplicity of it. And I'm like, no, sometimes you have to go through all of the different levels. I'll try on all the different hats to find that the one that you wanted, the one that fits the best is the first one you put on in the first place, but you have to go there. It's the there and back again from Bilbo Baggins. You have to go there to know, and then you can come back, you know, a different person. But the, the stuff, cause when I am creating, the, the stuff that resonates the hardest and the deepest with me is the stuff that cr resonated me, with me when I was 14 um, at the end of the day. And, oh, that's great. You know, it's like, oh, I just love a pure good story, but I just have 40 years of experience now to tell that story with. And that's a beautiful, that, that's such a beautiful thing. Well, it's still that same simple shape of the story, but now you've got all these layers, these thick layers inside that very simple, uh, uh, you know, the simple A to B to C story but you've got life lived. And I, you know, I was just going to jump in and just say as much as you like hearing about other people in your family and writing songs about those stories, like each album and each thing you do, you are consistently and like almost relentlessly looking back inside yourself. You're looking back at yourself and you're, you're trying to purge, like, you know, here's this other thing I've unpacked. Like you're, you're, uh, I, I know it was a, it was a few albums ago, but the re reintroduction of Nick Flores. Yes. You're like that. That seemed to be a, a serious reboot of like, what am I really doing here? Um, which, really which, got, which got every, cutting I, yourself. I think, I think every album was that 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 <laughs> that name is a little bit of a joke because every album is a, a recheck in with this artist to see what they've learned in the two years since we last heard from them. Yeah. Um, you know, so that, that album for me is, is that. And it's so funny now because I, I'm writing an album now that I'm like, oh, that could be called. This album should be called the reintroduction of Nick Flora. And then I have to remember every album could be called that because it's always a check-in. <laughs> it's always an update. It's always, here's what, I, here's what I've learned since we last spoke. That could be the name of every album that I, yeah. that I put out. 
Yeah, it's like uh, the, the the next season of the TV show. Exactly. We've added a few characters. We've added a few uh, uh, problems I didn't have before uh, to make things interesting. Yeah, and, and some people might not like it because they, they got used to the old thing. But then if you give it two more years, they, they will feel the same way about the, the new thing that you're putting out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, the, so. the one thing you haven't done that, that, that several artists, I guess maybe these are artists that become like so huge and they're playing stadiums and they're playing the, the I can't get no satisfaction at every single yeah. time blow their brains out. But uh, I know some artists that they're like, you haven't done your electronica album or your concept album, or you're like, what the heck is Nick doing? Why, why does he get back to the guitar and the, and the stories? Uh, you've stayed pretty consistent in, in a zone. Uh, I guess that's what I was meaning by, you know, putting you on shuffle in my house sometimes is that you, you, you've explored a lot of things, but, but you haven't been like, now <laughs> this is my trombone phase. Or, no, I mean, I, I had that in 10th grade. Yeah. Um, no, I had an album that came out called Future Boy, which we both share a love yeah. for, which is a Back to the Future reference. It's also your film company name. Yes. Um, but it, it that album was more electric and more like ha, had a lot of instruments I've never used before. Okay. So I feel like that that was more my experimental phase. But that that also is a part of me. Like that, I am a giant like Weezer, Fountains of Wayne, uh, you know, power pop guy like 90s power pop is my maybe my favorite type of music so i just tried that on for a little bit and it was really fun to do that and i, and I, I like introducing new new aspects of myself so i can now there's a reference point so when i do that again in the future it's like oh he, cool he's doing that thing again but it's always me and i, I think for a long time i thought i was going to freak people out by being so different in each each album so it's funny that you say that where it's like yeah it's just you, you you're very consistent <laughs> like i think i'm extremely well, ADD and inconsistent yeah and maybe i'm simplifying what you do too much but i, I know no, uh, i think you're right some really cool sounds did come out of that was future boy the one where you had uh let's take it from the top was that was yeah, that from that that was that one yeah and that one i had on repeat uh a long long time i i, I really you know my my son elliot is just now getting into songwriting and he's talked to you about yeah. it at some of these concerts yeah. and and he hummed something the other day and i said he sang the lyrics and it's real simple it was real simple and i and i think that's what what you i think the best creators and what you get down to is what's this hook that i could listen to over and over again and i said to my son don't take this the wrong way but that is beatles simple that is yeah. and that's a good thing um it's just a little riff um of lyric but I think that w w would you find that's uh, you know better than a sprawling uh, a ballad for you, or do you you you've not done the eight minute um, Green Day song yet? <laughs> no, I haven't. That, there's so many things that I that I still have yet to do. Um, no, I I love a good. I I think there's nothing better than a clever lyric that tells the truth that's matched with a hook of a melody that will never leave your head it's just always there it's so and and what's more than that is a is a melody or a hook that feels familiar like you grew up with it but it's also just extremely fresh like it, it it's not derivative but it borrows from stuff i don't know like i i love letting yourself be influenced by a couple of different things that are across the spectrum and to create a wholly new thing that's what all that's what all creative stuff is when you talk you about know. something getting stuck in your head it, it freaks me out that really there are only eight notes right like right um do you ever i mean i'm just like i don't know how songwriters just keep doing it with the same eight notes and it's like are you ever humming something and you're like that's pretty good and you realize two days later oh wait a minute that's a fountain of wayne song that yeah. god it was in my head Corey, i have written 
sweet child of mine <laughs> 11 times what? this month like the amount of times i i've i've come up i'm just picking on the guitar and i'm like hey this is pretty good and and then i'm like oh dang it it's sweet child of mine again i just love that song so much and for whatever reason the melody in a stripped down acoustic form especially it just like butters my bread so hard that i just keep so yeah i, I do that all the time where i'm like "Ooh, this came out easy what's worse than that is when you write something and record it and then six months after it releases you're like oh you're listening to an old album that you loved and you're like oh i just straight up ripped that off i didn't even realize oh. doing it um yeah and that happens too but nobody and then nobody notices because people aren't thinking about that i don't know like it, i think everybody kind of does it and yeah. everybody kind of does their own little ripoffs and everybody borrows from what they know and love and and you know from being a creative person you you don't it's some stuff loses all objectivity over time and it's yeah. just in your dna yeah like I, I i don't need to watch star wars a new hope or back to the future or princess bride ever again i can yeah, play I, it in my at a certain point, i had to stop i had to stop watching raiders of the lost ark because i knew it yeah. got like it was a pop song yeah and what's fun is you get to play it for your kids and then it, and then you kind of get that boost again right but before that it is just i i can play it in my mind at any point in time i don't need to watch it like i, I <laughs> you could just but, sit on the couch and close your eyes and go mm, let's run that scene again i've done that in school i used to do that i used to close my eyes and just play scenes from princess bride because we had as a family had watched it 30 40 times um already so oh man. yeah but you know so that stuff's gonna happen but i do i i'm constantly amazed and i think the reason why i keep keep continuing to write music is because i'm constantly amazed that i can write new stuff and i can take those eight notes and this is new how is this new well you, know? you put yourself through the ringer too i mean you're you're i would tell people you're a machine let me let me let me just give the 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 audience that's listening uh, an example uh, i have a, a a cartoon an animated web series called Krogzilla gets a job yeah. Krogzilla gets a job Krogzilla with a k google it now go watch it but I, as as things came to a head at the end of the series i needed this kind of melancholy song and i i literally just called you up and i kind of described what i wanted uh, mm -hmm. not not even the lyrics just i wanted to feel like something from rushmore and that's what i know that's one of your favorite movies yeah and then i'm like and it has to have kind of metaphors about like you know tear uh, you you can't build yourself up to you tear tear yourself down and and uh he's a he's a he's a godzilla kind of monster and i i think it might have been 24 hours later you sent me a song that i had no notes on and it was perfect <laughs> and, and i know that you write like a would you say you write a hundred songs a year you just you just keep doing it. Yeah. I mean, maybe not full songs, but ideas for sure. Yeah. Well, so what is your process? Like, do you, do you wake up every morning at the same time? Cause I know some artists, they got to do it different every two days to keep yeah. it fresh. And then some artists like the, like to be a machine, like to, to, to keep that routine. They're methodic about it. Methodical. I, I don't do that. Um, I definitely, I've had to re rephrase and reframe, what writing is to me because i'll write it down. i have to be like okay i need 30 minutes to an hour a day where i write or i work on songs and for if i write that on there i will avoid it all day long it'll be the last thing i do so because it's too much pressure so i've had to write it down now i've never told anybody this but on my to-do list for the day um i write pick up the guitar and see what happens and then and, and then it, it it's okay i can do that because it could be anything 
and more often than not a new song or a new a new lyric idea or a melody pops in and then i record it i write it down but i don't have time to flesh it out at that moment i, I just i record it into my phone i put it on my notes app and then when the time comes that i actually have a full day that i want to devote to writing i go back to the reservoir or when i feel like creative but i don't know what i just go back to that and it's like almost like leaving future me notes from the past uh, like, oh. i was like oh this is a cool idea i forgot about this oh wait i wrote it thanks me <laughs> this is great this <laughs> we're is back to time travel again thanks. yeah it's totally i i and I, that's what i feel like having a relationship with myself is in a lot of ways is setting my my future self up for success by doing things in the present that aren't necessarily super fun because you know writing for me i don't like writing but i do like having written <laughs> yeah i hear you so i will but so i will just because when you write, it's hard and you and I, I question my entire existence. And if I'm any good at all, I just go through, you know, all the different phases of, of self-doubt. And then something finally cranks out that I that I think is pretty good. And I put that nugget away for another day when I have a little bit more confidence. Right. And, and so and, and, and but then when I sit down like that Crogzilla song, that that was great. And what makes me um, really, really, really come to life is being boxed in. And so you gave me the perfect assignment because you gave me parameters and influence bank. So you were like, I remember you said, Wes, it's like almost like Wes Anderson and like New Girl meets yeah. or whatever. And, and I was like, oh, okay, fantastic. I know exactly what this needs to be. And, and I feel like a lot of times if you're like, write whatever you want in whatever style you want, I will just sit there and stare and not know what to well, do. I, most creative people would do that too. I, I think a yeah. lot of boundaries get a bad rap um uh, limits get a bad rap and low budget yeah. gets a bad rap because that's like okay I, I i gotta i gotta make it's like it's like an apollo 13 we we yes we guys breathe with these six items and this duct tape <laughs> yes oh that stuff lights me up that's yeah. and i honestly think staying an indie artist like a working musician where i've always kind of worked around the same budget for everything has really really helped me i i think if i was if i was given the budget of a coldplay album i don't know what i would do i think i'd still make it small i think i'd still i i, I would i would give like fifty thousand dollars back to the record company because i was like hey i didn't use this <laughs> yeah just make a great you make make a great music video at the end of it so. oh yeah give me it for a video oh, i have so many video ideas yeah we but... got to make it in italy that's what where we got to go <laughs> that's where the light is just one shot though um i i there, there's one dream sequence that i just want one shot in italy um then the rest of it takes place here uh, uh um and I, now i have to uh, turn this back to movies because a lot of um the way that you and i have communicated is through movies yeah um, like like uh, i i my head around writing the songs that you write the same way that you love movies and you can't wrap your head around spending two two years on something um nope. so i think we have a good uh, uh back and forth uh about both things um but i know you have um well you have a love for the wes anderson kind of movies but also a a, a big love for for john hughes movies you keep coming mm -hmm. back to john hughes movies a lot in your uh, just in your sensibilities, but like, how old were you when John Hughes movies were out? As in, as in, if I run into a, a college kid now, and I've done some film classes, and they don't know what a John Hughes movie is, they yeah. weren't born. But you were. Well, take me back to your. John I was about, see, I was about ten years late. This is why John Hughes means so much to me is because I was about ten years later than when he made his movies when I saw it in high school, and it affected me like it was that if it had been made that day and I didn't understand because a lot of stuff that was made in the 80s 
is dated and it's kind of cheesy and it, that's kind of the fun of it. Um, but I, so I was born in 82. So a lot of that stuff was, you know, when I was, you know, 98 or whatever, 90, 90 yeah, 96, 97, 98, I was watching Ferris Bueller every day after school. Um, mm-hmm. and, yeah. or, or, uh, 16 candles, breakfast club, Ferris Bueller. Those were like my movies. The, by the way, I just saw Ferris Bueller and loved it. And it yeah, had no, it, it had no uh, mothballs on it at all for him. It, it, it's so fresh. It's kind of insane. And, and also just knowing being a giant, I, I basically could do a documentary on John Hughes. I know so much about him at this point, but like he wrote that, that movie in a weekend, like while he was making, I believe it was 16 candles. He went home over the weekend and wrote the script for Ferris Bueller. And he did that a few different times in in about a wow. five year span. Wow. And then just lost it. Um, but he, he did the same thing with Breakfast Club. Um, it, it just blew my mind. It's like how something could come out so fully formed. And I, but I've had those moments too when I when I sit down and, and I have a song called Future Boy uh, on that album that I wrote in one sitting. I just wrote in about a twenty minute time period, and I was like, "There it is. It's done." Like I know those moments. And yeah. so, but but John Hughes specifically, I felt like I'd never felt so seen. You know, I'd seen the eighties comedies like you know whatever it might be uh porkies or whatever like was supposed to relate to me as a teenager and it just felt like yeah a 40 year old man was writing this i didn't understand <laughs> really um, fratty stuff like frat yeah. boy. there's it's a lot been, of hot tubs involved it just didn't a lot resonate of- and and i was a kid who didn't you know it, it made me think that i as a teenager if i wasn't thinking about sex 24 7 that i was doing something wrong and and that was in the mix but i it, I love how existential John Hughes got. I love how uh, he gave the voices of the teens in his movies um, a little bit of c- more credit than anybody else did to, to yeah. be, to, they were beginning to be fully formed humans and they understood way more than anybody gave them credit for. And that resonated so hard with me. Uh, yeah. I feel like that's really what his sweet spot is. is he just understood um, the, the, the young adult or older child mindset and so man those yeah it's all 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 john hughes all day for me i i'm i'm such a humongous fan of his and then and then when he got out of the spotlight and he just wrote all these movies you know like the beethoven series and i think one of the (laughs) one of the last movies he wrote was uh all right he has something to do with maybe he wrote the story for was that uh that owen wilson movie where he plays like a, a a a pi for a bully at a high school I don't know. If you're oh, right. uh, uh, oh, uh, uh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Uh, what is it? What is it? Plugged in a drill bit Taylor. Drill bit Taylor. That's it. Yeah. Why, why, oh. did, why is that in my brain? I don't know, but it's, it, it wasn't in mine, but I, I, it was on the tip of my tongue and you just took it off of there. But yeah. that was, that was John Hughes. And I, nobody knows that. Like, cause he, he was just, he was still cranking stuff out. He just didn't really enjoy the business of it. And, and I relate to that because I have moments where I write songs and sometimes I'm like, I don't know if I want anybody to hear this. Like, it feels pure the way it is right now. It, I have my own drill bit tailors, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> don't we all have a drill bit tailor somewhere that we? Who uh, doesn't? We don't want to look at uh, the well, you know. And and you love movies enough too that I I remember you have done some things. Well, you've done a lot of traveling as a musician, uh, as a musician, and you will you will find locations from your favorite movies. As <laughs> some people do, and I can't remember you, you visited some Back to the Future locations, right? You saw Marty's house and. I think and, at this uh, point I have every every Back to the Future location, every Ferris Bueller location. Wow, 
I have been to. Like, and that's what was so beautiful about a lot of those guys, especially John Hughes, is he he used practical locations. There wasn't yeah. it wasn't on a studio lot necessarily. Um, even with Home Alone, he he filmed a lot of that out, you know, out in that neighborhood and you can go to it. And, it, and that was mind blowing to me because music to me, I mean, movies to me was a thing that I don't know. I grew up in a small town and I just used it to look at the rest of the world and never thinking I could actually be there. And one day I will go to you know Disney World and step on the Millennium Falcon and I will ball like a child. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and but, but there was something about like standing at Marty's house that is a, a very real house that people live in. Um, you know, or even coming, even coming, you're, you're standing in the movie that you've watched so many years. I couldn't, and it looks the same because those neighborhoods don't change really. You know, (laughs) those houses were built in 1955 and they look the same. Um, Now you had a, you had a story uh, about one of these locations that I I wanted you to tell. And and every, every guest that I have on here, I'm going to pull a story out of them that maybe they don't tell a lot, or that was a a unique experience. Was it, was it visiting Cameron Fry's? That's right. Uh, Tell me about that. Well, it's in Chicago in the suburbs, and uh, I believe it's Winnetka, Illinois, or around there. Uh, I'll be fact-checked on that, I'm sure. But it's around the northern suburbs, um, and I just saw online, it, it, made the, it made the rounds, you know, whenever, like, the Brady Bunch house gets goes up for sale, or whatever it is, like, it, it makes the rounds in, in Facebook and stuff. And so I just saw that Cameron's house from uh, Ferris Bueller, which is a very, like, postmodern-looking house. There, like, all the walls are windows. It yeah. just... it's in the woods it has this garage out back where the ferrari was was stored like this house has remained untouched and was used for the film and never used again and it was you know bought and purchased bought and sold over the years and stuff like that but like whoever was the final people who owned it were selling it and i was in it so i knew it was empty and i was in chicago and so I had a show. So wait, wait, so it's empty. So that no one's living there and you've seen the listing. Yes. I saw, I clicked on the link and I saw the listing and you can look inside of it and stuff online. But I was like, well, I'm in Chicago. I'm just going to go there. I have time to kill. And this is the thing that I like to do. Like any practical location in any major city, especially Chicago, it's lousy with them. Um, It's all John Hughes for me. It's, it's all the 16 candles and Ferris Bueller and breakfast club locations. And, so for me, I was like, well, I got to do this. I got to go find this house. And it was empty. So I was like, maybe I could even like score a viewing, uh, pretend maybe like I could borrow the Corvette. <laughs> I'm assuming it's probably back there. Um, and so it's still in the woods probably, uh, from when they backed it out of the garage. But so I, I, I went there and I pull in and I'm it sorry. Is, it's not a Corvette. Is it please? It's a Ferrari. It's a Ferrari. It's a Ferrari. Yeah, you got to correct me. You know what? For the for the flow of the story, I was gonna let it slide. All right. Anyway, um, continue. Nobody likes that guy. Nobody likes the um, Corey. It's a Ferrari. Um, actually, okay. <laughs> but anyway, continue. You're you're there. You're you're going there. Yeah, I, I found it, and it was just gorgeous. It was just it was pulling. It's it's the you know immediately I go to the scene where he's sitting in his car, and he's like, he'll keep calling me. He'll keep calling me, like. It is. It looks exactly the same as it did in 1987 when it was filmed. It's just, uh, it's just unbelievable to me. How it's pristine, and so and I. But I noticed. I so I pull in and I kind of walk around the property and I've done this a lot and I and I know that I'm technically trespassing on a lot of these places. So I kind of have my things that I do. Um, hold the phone it's, up to your it's ear. What, it's what Ferris Bueller would have done. He would have trespassed. 
he would have he, he would have done it and so i hold my phone up to my ear like i might be talking to somebody on the phone like trying to find somebody like i, I always walk around with intent um like hmm where is this person i'm supposed to yeah. meet you know this whole story that nobody else is <laughs> even thinking of they're like who's nobody nobody's paying attention to you man but i'm still like all right um I'm the good kid. I'm a good kid. I can't, I can't be getting into trouble. So I, but I noticed that the entire building, that the entire house is like, you can see in it and it's, it's completely empty. It has a couple, there's like trash in it. There's just stuff that hadn't been cleaned out yet, but there was no furniture. There was nothing in it. Um, Because it's all, it's three of the four walls are completely windows. So you just see inside and, there, there's like a cot in there and some paint. So I was like, Oh, like they've had some people, like some workers working on the house. And so I walk around the side of the back and there's the garage. It's right there. That's where the Ferrari was. Just can't believe it. And as I'm back there, I, I hear a truck pull in <laughs> and, oh, no. and immediately like, and there's, there's one way in and one way out. I mean, it's woods surrounding. And so this truck pulls in, I'm immediately like, and it blocks me in and I'm, it's a big, you know f-150 i'm just like okay well i'm gonna have weird science isn't it yeah (laughs) it is it's it's bill paxton um and and so i immediately walk up like waving like hey and he's like hey do you do you own this place and i I thought it was going to be a thing where it's like no i don't well then get out of here you know i'm I'm expecting some 80s bully level interaction here and this guy and and i was like no i don't i was just I'm I'm a, I'm a Ferris Bueller fan. Sorry. And the guy was like, "Oh, dude, me too." And he was like, and he hopped out of the car. And he, <laughs> and this guy didn't own it either. He was just there to do the same thing I was. And he was, <laughs> and he was an airline pilot. He was about the age of Ferris Bueller when that movie came out. And we bonded so hard over it. And just we're talking about the movie and we're laughing. And we're taking pictures of each other. <laughs> like, here now, you do me. And we like stand in front of the garage. Oh my gosh! Total stranger, and just now total stranger. He, the friendliest man alive. He he was. It was just wonderful. It was it was this wonderful exchange, and we're we're standing taking pictures of each other, um, on each other's phones, at various points of the, of the property, and then we hear like a muffled scream and like a pounding on a wall, and just kind of ignore it, and then and then it happens again, and he's like, "Do you hear that?" I'm like, "Yeah, what is that?" And we turn around. And in the house, there is a guy standing completely uh, naked except for, like, just BVD's underwear, just Fruit of the Loom underwear. And he looks like he just woke up. And he's banging on on the, the window and pointing at us and yelling swears. And just, like, it's violent already. And so <laughs> we were like, oh, we better get out of here. And so we kind of power walk back to our cars. And he runs to the front of the house as well. And it's just one of those things where who's going to get to who first this guy, it seemed like this guy was probably tapped to sit there and like stay there and make sure there weren't trespassers and that kind of thing. He, where, he, where was he sleeping? If there was no furniture, well, it, I, I noticed, I notice, that's a good question. I didn't notice there was a cot. Like, so wow. I'm like, I think he was just kind of somebody's cousin and they were giving him a job. I don't really, I didn't stick around to figure it out. But basically, by the time we get to our cars, and I'm blocked in by this guy, by the guy behind me, he he's he runs out the front yard, um, trying to put on jeans, still no <laughs> shirt, just yelling, just like you're trespassing. I've already called the police, like all this stuff, and we're just like go 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 go. And and then the guy goes, wait, he's getting in his truck behind me, and he goes, wait, I don't have your phone number. My pictures are on your phone, 
and I was like, ah, and he and I just go, uh, Walgreens at the bottom of the hill. Go, go, go. So <laughs> we zip around, like I, I go end up going the wrong way and loop around and we, we skid out of there. And my heart is racing. This guy is he literally got to my car and was like touching my car and trying to get to me. Um, the guy who owned that or like was staying in the house. And so we we zip all the way down this hill. And by the time I get to the Walgreens, this guy is sitting on the back of his truck with the tailgate down, eating an ice cream sandwich. <laughs> and it's just like, hey, buddy, how's it going? Like, And I, I hop up there and he got one for me. I mean, this is straight up out of a movie at this point. <laughs> and and, I, and I, my heart is racing and we text each other back and forth and the, the pictures we took. And he was just like, that was insane. We laughed about it. And uh, it, was, it was just this insane exchange. He was like, hey, I'm, I live in Nashville. And he was like, I'm going to come to Nashville and we're going to you know you can you need to meet my wife you need to meet the family like we, we felt immediately bonded over this and it, it's just wild that like I, i've been to a lot of these locations and that's the only one that i got to actually share kind of a a harrowing experience with a fellow fan who i never spoke to again oh my god <laughs> like that you guy out there has that story you've never seen him again i never saw him again I, i'm sure i could dig this is 10 years ago now i'm sure i could dig up his card somewhere um or something, but I, I it might have gotten lost. Who knows? But that guy is out there somewhere, and he he has that same story that I do, and probably nobody believes him in the same way people don't believe me. Although I, I still have the pictures, I have the pictures he took. You know, um, it's almost, it's almost better that way that you just you, you parted ways, you had that moment. Um, yeah, you know the guy you really hope doesn't find you is that guy in his underwear. I know. <laughs> there's there's no way that guy's still alive. That scene was uh, that was everything except him like leveling a shotgun and blowing yeah. away a couple of trees as you as you skid out yeah for sure but me and <laughs> that just the fact that uh you know it's that it's it's that old proverb uh he who lives in glass houses should not walk <laughs> around but everywhere oh yes that old one yes i would i would stay mostly dressed in that house most of the time this guy oh, absolutely he thought he was in 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 he thought he was secluded i guess yeah, he had obviously just woken up. Like he he was just completely, you know, when you first wake up, if you have to run after people down your driveway, you're not thinking perfectly clear. <laughs> no. But no. I, I, I think about I wonder if there'd be a moment where he finally like like you guys are having having your ice cream sandwiches and he finally comes huffing and puffing up there half dressed <laughs> and goes, I'm sorry, guys. Uh, me too. Big Ferris Bueller fan. Yeah. And like sorry. I got lost in the house. Uh, I broke in. Um, yeah, I'm right, right. I, mean, I, I thought you were going to say a guy who has been trapped in there. And he's like, get me out. <laughs> um, Corey, it, that might have been the case. I actually didn't stick around to find out. He, he might have just been yelling, hey, me too. I love the movie too. And I, I just thought it was get out of here. I projected all of my fears onto him. Bueller, Bueller, you're running. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, that, that's a great story. <laughs> That's a, I, that's a that's a great way to go out. Uh, I don't I don't know if you can ever make a song around that memory, but uh, maybe someday. But either I definitely tell it on every time I play in Chicago. I try to tell some Chicago centric story because I've had some crazy things happen up there, and people people get a kick out of that one because they love. I don't know. They they live around the time of. Yeah, they just kind of take it all for granted. They know that the Dark Knight was shot there. They know that all the John Hughes movies were shot there. They just don't really care, and I'm, that makes me sad. They're like, "Yeah, Chicago." They're like, "Everybody got a story." Oh, you went to the Cameron Fry house? Yeah, we all have a story from there. I'm like, "Okay, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah." Half naked guy in his BVDs. Yeah, we've all been there. Oh, you mean Terry? Oh, you <laughs> meant Terry? 
Oh, so you meant Terry. Yeah, yeah. No, he still lives there. <laughs> no, he's not selling the house. That's just how no. he lives. One he cock, is... no furniture, glass house. He likes He's it that a way. minimalist. Get yeah. used to it. Hey, he's found simplicity. Leave the man alone. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I think we're at the end of our time, but I want to I wanna wrap up by saying, you know, we started talking about one of the things, the Betterman Film Club that you have been concocting, but you've got a brand new podcast coming up that, that I didn't even know this was a topic that needed a podcast, but <laughs> tell, tell us about that before we're done. I'm assuming you're talking about uh, 1990 Great. which 1990 is a podcast, Great. Which is a podcast that I have, has completely come out of nowhere, but I have become very obsessed with the idea that the 90s basically was this fantastical decade of pop culture. Um, but really, I mean, it was really the Wild West of pop culture, but really came to a head in 1998, which is at its peak 90s. And only after realizing all the things that had come out around that year or in that year and the things that happened in that year, it's it's staggering. And so that is also the year that I was 16 and really getting into uh, music and stuff, driving around, listening to the radio. And so a lot of those artists, it also is the year, I think, up until 2000. 10 was it was the year with the most one hit wonders in history and and i want to i want to explore and find out why and so i i have also just recently become uh not friends but friendly or or in communication with a lot of people who made music that year and had hits that year and then never had hits again and people who were on mtv at that time and it it was just kind of wild and so i want to conversations and because i i have a theory that that 1998 can absolutely uh summarize the 90s the the good bad and the ugly and also it predicted uh the next 23 years that came after it and i i have a a story i want to tell through that and we'll see how far i get but i'm absolutely obsessed with that and if you talk to me in the last two months i probably brought it up in one way or another so i'm I'm gonna do this through a podcast where each each episode I, i dissect a different song and talk to either the artist or somebody who worked on that song and uh or or people who who you know helped push it forward radio djs and mtv vjs and all that kind of stuff once again i don't know if anybody knows what the younger generations what mtv vjs are but maybe this podcast isn't for them (laughs) (laughs) well uh nick uh where can where can people find this podcast and really find you and any of these things that you're working on right now it's too many things yeah nick flora on on instagram or facebook or the things all the all the internet website things and uh i i talk about this stuff constantly so you can't miss it Well, that's it, guys. That's uh, end of show one. That's one in the bank. That's one in the can. And it's a good one, I think, because of my good friend and uh, good guest, Mr. Nick Flora, musician, troubadour, traveling storyteller. And um, we learned a lot about masculinity and film and uh, the dangers of visiting film locations. Please be careful out there, folks. But that's what I'm here for, guys. Really, I'm here for the stories. So we're going to hear more stories from other guests in coming weeks. And of course, I'll probably shoot my mouth off too. So uh, we'll see you next time. This is Corey Edwards. And hey, thanks for stopping by. Bye.